Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Action Replay right here on DCUFM. My name's Sean Breslin. Thank you so much for joining us. Twitch.tv slash DCUFM. So if you want to catch up on any of our old episodes, you can check us out. Search DCUFM Spotify and our entire back catalogue is there as well as everyone else on DCUFM. So you can check them out as well. And if you want to follow our socials, it's right there on the screen. On the screen, uh, DCUFM Sport uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined today. I believe for the first time ever on Action Replay by Paul Morgan. Paul, how are you doing today? Yeah, uh, good. Thanks, John, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been a long way to get me on, so I'm uh, happy to be on. So uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Well, we hope it's worth the wait, and we're going to jump straight in with the rugby because. Uh, the final week of the Six Nations is upcoming, but we had ourselves um, a few good games over the weekend. Um, the main uh, story, of course, from an Irish perspective, is the fact that Ireland just about got through Scotland, um, which I, I know it hasn't been the best championship for Ireland, but as I've said a few times on this show, I think you have to take that into context. We... Um, Played against Wales for 60 minutes with 14 men. And um, France, are we have to accept, are just a better outfit than us at the moment. But I think what Scotland proved in this game was that their, um, their run of form in this um, championship is um, not as much of a false dawn as it once was. We saw their amazing win over England. They got un- they were got a bit unlucky, I think, against Wales, and then obviously their game against France didn't happen because um, there was a big COVID outbreak in the French squad. But overall, this was a really compelling game, and I think Ireland can take plenty of lessons from it, Paul. Um, yeah, definitely. Like they were really they really came under pressure in the second half when Scotland really got their uh, running game going with with Russell and Hogg they they're always a big a big threat a big threat in attack but it it shows that Ireland showed a bit of character to get get up the field get a penalty and uh, Sexton to slot it over Sexton to slot it over to to win to win the game so i think that will give them a lot of confidence. Like any any win that they can get in the Six Nations is harder harder and well with the possible exception of Italy. But like all the other teams are, all the other teams are at a at a quite a similar level this year. So it's made for a lot of uh, very competitive games. But I yeah, I'd say Ireland will 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 definitely take a lot of confidence for that going into the England game. Um. From an Irish perspective, it it does feel like looking at this squad. It does feel like a, a changing of the guard. Uh, Johnny Sexton, I think, has said that the next World Cup will be his last, and that's likely he'll be in his late thirties by the time that rolls around. And we're seeing new players um, come into the squad. Uh, James Lowe was one that stood out in the in the November internationals, and he's getting the, some good time in the in the Six Nations as well. Uh, another sign of the, the changing of the times is that CJ Stander announced, uh, I think it was this morning, that um, he'll be finishing up with rugby and retiring from the game once his contract expires at the end of June. Uh, he said in a statement that um, 
lockdown and COVID has given him an opportunity to kind of reassess his life and reassess what his priorities are and they are to his family, which I think is, is very, very commendable. But he'll be sorely missed, I think, in the Irish pack. Um, yes, he's been pretty much ever present since he came he came in from South Africa and played the three years with Munster, which then qualified him to to play with play with Ireland. So it'd be a big loss. He gives Ireland so much like go forward ball and he does so much hard work carry carrying sometimes always from a standing start, like he'd be but uh yeah, he he really gives them go forward and um but there is there is there is players that can come in like Caelan Doris is injured at the moment but he he looked quite good in the november games but um yeah cj stander has been he's been a huge addition to to irish irish rugby so um yeah he'll be he'll be missed um but yeah he, he, he um i was gonna say i was a bit i was taken a little bit by surprise actually when when i heard when i heard that but um yeah you can understand given the statement he's put out why he did Looking around to the rest of the Six Nations, we got a big, big game on uh, on Saturday coming that will probably decide... Well, it might decide the fate of the championship. And as with most things in our lives, COVID has thrown this one for a loop a bit. Wales, they kept their Six Nations Grand Slam hopes alive with a um, pretty comfortable win over Italy. I mean, there's not much you can say about Italy anymore. They show up, they politely accept their beating and that's the end of it um wales have have written their luck i think it's fair to say they did um they did well to beat ireland and scotland they benefited from red cards in both of those games their their performance against uh england though was a was an eye catcher um france meanwhile have probably Probably looked the strongest team, I think, because but they were they were pretty unlucky not to beat England this past uh, weekend. Um, a TMO call um, overturned a ref the referee's decision not to give England a try and got them the try and the win. But if Wales do beat France and that's over, Grand Slam they've won. Whereas if France win. All eyes are going to turn to that rescheduled game against Scotland whenever it takes place. So it's it's one of the more interesting uh, Six Nations finales in quite some time because Wales weren't. I don't think Wales were expecting too much out of this tournament, and yet here they are on the cusp of a Grand Slam. Yeah, definitely. You summed it up well there, Sean. Um, like I said Wales. Wales were not at the races at all in 2020 but they did win they did win in 2019 so they do they do have they do have pedigree of sometimes performing performing very well in the six nations and even when like maybe their club sides uh, are not performing as well and yeah they were their their uh, their head coach uh, Wayne Pivak was kind of under pressure uh early early at the start but then the, that kind of the red cards gave them a good confidence booster and um yeah they brought in some good players like Louis Reese Amit on the wing has really added a lot to their attack and um yeah they've just they've kind of they've kept their discipline I suppose a bit better than 
other teams. They've kind of let the other teams kind of make make mistakes and they've really benefited from that. So, yeah, they're really in a strong position going coming up against France this weekend. As for Ireland, they're not in contention for any sort of championship or triple crown or any of that. But they have the chance to rectify some of their mistakes and put a, put a bit of a shine on um, this tournament for them. Uh, they welcome England, which is uh, is always uh, a big deal. But with the with the Gulf in class that seems to be apparent between Ireland and England at the moment, if Ireland can pull a win out, that would reflect so well on them as, um, as as a team that's still kind of adjusting to life without Joe Schmidt. But England will feel like they've had a, a somewhat disappointing tournament as well. I think if they put a, a fair score on Ireland, they might be still in with a chance of uh, winning a championship if the, if the mats falls their way. But uh, I think that they'll very much expect that they can beat Ireland and potentially beat them quite comfortably. Um, yeah, England will take a lot of confidence, both in terms of the last the last few games against Ireland. They've really phys- physically kind of fed up Ireland, I suppose, like they especially in the pack and the scrum, um, and even in the Saracens Leinster games, which has a lot of players from both teams. Saracens have been very dominant in those two, but um, I, I do I do think Ireland can. Um, can run them a bit closer than in than in previous matches. I don't I don't quite think they'll have enough to beat beat England. But this year I don't think there's a huge uh, there's a huge difference between all, all the different teams. Um, a lot of a lot of one score games. Um, but yeah, England England still have the the edge like with uh, Itoje in the pack as well, who's. He got a lot of criticism in his in his uh in the previous in the match against Wales for giving away so many penalties, but that's kind of the way that's the kind of way that England play is uh on the edge and that kind of I think they'll still have the edge over the Irish pack and I think that will play a crucial role in them probably probably being able to get the victory. But hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not. Yes, indeed. We are Irish after all. Now, yes. <laughs> we don't often talk about horse racing here on Action Replay, mainly because we don't really know enough about it and we just make a fool of ourselves. But you have to uh, talk about Cheltenham because it's arguably the biggest festival in the racing calendar. But we can't, in good conscience, talk about it because we don't know enough about horse racing. But thankfully, we know someone who does... Uh, unfortunately he couldn't be here today but he sent in his thoughts on everything that everything related to Cheltenham and everything you need to know over the next four days so here is Brian Dowling with everything you need to know about the Cheltenham Festival 2021 Yes, it is the week we have all been waiting for it is the 2021 Cheltenham Festival and what a week in store for us. It gets underway today at 20 past one with the newest renewal of the Skybet Supreme Novices Hurdle and all eyes are pointing to Willie Moses' charge here. Appreciate it. Brilliant winner at the Dublin Race Festival. Brilliant winner over the same course and distance at the Christmas Festival. Uh, he goes into this race of a 
uh, as five to six favourites. He was second in that season's champion bumper. He should take all the beating. Uh, last week, before the when the ground was a bit when was a bit harder, they were kind of leading towards Valley Adam. But the ten miller rain that fell on Sunday night would suit him right down to the ground. I think he should win. Metier is probably his biggest challenger. He has good ties linked in on the flat after being an eighty-eight rated horse for Andrew Slattery last season. He's been revolutionised under Harry Five. He's a brilliant winner of the Tolworth. He should chase him home. Don't underestimate Willie Munns' second charge here, Blue Lord. He was second in the Lauders and Ace behind Bob Ollinger. Ran a good race, the Dublin Race Festival behind Appreciated. He'll be suited by the by the little bit a little bit of rain that fell. Bally Adam maybe didn't want the rain to fall, still holds bundles of ability, is a grade one winner as a novice, but all eyes should appreciate it, should collect the prize here and get favourite backers off to a great start. Tuesday looks as if it is the, the day of the favourites as Shishkin heads the market for the Arkle. He's two to one on favourite. He's been he's been bloodless over fences, was a brilliant winner of the Supreme last season, should win this race easy, should have no challenge from, from too many. Captain Gillis might might run well in the second of eight to one, and that should be it. Tuesday's racing then continues with the ultimate handicap chase. A wide open affair, as it always is. Happy Go Lucky is very short at the top of the market. She's your 10th three favourite. Probably the most likely winner has brilliant course form, is a brilliant winner here in December. Alan Adam is interesting, I think, for Dan Skelton. Uh, he's been crying out for a step of a trip to three mile. It was a brilliant winner of his last run at it was Sandown. He beat Clan Legend by five, five and a half lengths. He was beaten in a race by Killer Clown, who has gone on to be bigger bigger and better things. He goes into this race off a mark of 145. I think the trip will suit him. I think he'll go well at that sort of price. The score probably might go well for Jessica Harrington. And it's all about the mayors then in the feature race on day one, which is the Unibest Champion Hurdle Challenge Trophy. And of course, all eyes will be looking at Honeysuckle. I think that she is an, has been absolutely exceptional this season. She looks better than ever. She's unbeaten in all her races. 10 out of 10 out. 10, 10 wins out of 10 starts was a brilliant winner of the Mayor's Hurdle here last year she should win this she gets a 7 pound Mayor's allowance from the rest of the field could prove absolutely vital in the outcome of this Epitone is probably her biggest challenge at 4-1 I think that she was a winner of this last year didn't look great at Christmas and you you could forgive her for that but I think Honey Suckers should be the most likely winner Goshen is interesting he, he was a runaway winner of the Kingwell Hurdle only a couple of weeks ago, he was going to win the Triumph Hurdle last year, only unseating at the last. He was poor here in December. Didn't look like he, he really got the run of the race in the international. It looked like he bounced back to form in the Kingwell. Should have a should have a massive chance here, but Honey Suckle is the one for me here. Seven pound mares allowance is going to be all the, is going to be all the taken here. The ten mil around that fell com, falls completely into her favour, and I think she's the winner. The three forty is the uh, Close Brothers Mares Hurdle, and uh, this is all about Concertista. I think Roxana proposes a big challenge, but I just don't think she's going to be in the same class. Concertista is improving all the time. She showed she showed a brilliant, uh, she put in a brilliant performance at this at Cheltenham last season, which was a runaway winner of the Mayor's Novice. Has has been perfect in her all her starts since. Uh, should have plenty of speed, plenty of ability, and should take all the beating in this one. And Manila Melody might run it right out, might outrun a rod sixteen to one to get into the place. So she 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 was ahead of Black Tears. And a chase home concertista on all the Irish starts this season. If she's four or five lengths behind her again this year, this this time as she was at Christmas, that could be that could be good enough for second place in this one. The penultimate race on day one is the Boodles handicap, uh, the Fred Winter, as it is registered as, and a big field goal to go to post here. Saint Sam is the market leader at five to one. He's been running a Grade One company because back into a handicap of a market of one from thirty nine, probably well handicapped. Looks the most likely winner. I kind of like one at a price here. I kind of, I kind of think that that uh, curious bride could outrun her odds here at twenty-eight to one. She gets in here off a mark of one hundred and twenty-three. There's a massive weight range in this race, and usually when there's a weight, when there's a massive 
when there's a massive weight range in the boodles, the winner tends to come from near the bottom of the weights. And she gets in here off a mark, as I said, of 123. She's only carrying 10-6. She, she won a brilliant, she put in a brilliant performance at Pudgestown in January, where she beat Palm Beach. She had Coltor in behind. She had Zofian in behind, who are half her odds in this race. I think that that's very, very good form. She ran in a, in a two-and-a-half-mile listed hurdle at Navin a couple of weeks ago behind uh, Atlantic Ferry. Never never suited that sort of trip. She uh, was probably only a pipe opener for this. Gets in here as first, got in here as first reserve. There was a horse pulled out last night, Tinahala, and luckily for Tinahala's owners, they own Curious Pride as well, and I think that she could go well at 28-1. to 1. I think that could be the way to go on that one. And the finale on day one is, of course, the old... The, Sam Vesti National Hunt Challenge Cup novices chase usually only usually for amateur jockeys only obviously for amateurs missing the festival this year kind of opens the door a little bit here and next destination is the favourite of 5-2 to two. Um, looks has been, has looked very very good uh, over fences this season for Paul probably the most likely winner I like Galvin here Galvin came into the Shelton Festival last year very very fresh and was second behind Imperial Aura was brilliant here uh, over the on, on the old course in October, when he was a seven-length winner of the uh, the better weight, better novices chase, uh, he has course form. As I said, he was second behind Imperial Aura last year in the close front. He's won every race since. Uh, well, won't mind the conditions. He goes good. He goes on yielding. He goes on good ground. I think he's got a massive chance. Four to one. Jack Kennedy, Ian Ferguson. I think this is a this is a big, big, uh, big, big chance. The rest of the week. Um, we have plenty of there's plenty of great racing on. Um, one I'll be keeping an eye out for is obviously Shaqan Porsche won the champion chase on Patrick's Day. William Munns has never won the champion chase. He's got a massive chance here with this one. I think he'll win. Uh, he kind of has the best form at any of the rest of them in the race. Obviously, Altior got pulled out. Put the kettle on is probably interesting. Uh, she was last year's Arthur winner. Arthur winners have a good record in the champion chase. She'll get seven pound mares allowance. She's a good price, nine to one. But I think the winner, I think Shaqan Porsche was the most likely winner. Uh, the opener on day two is the Ballymore Novices Hurdle. That's probably the standout race of the day. Uh, there's only seven runners going to it. Bob Ollinger is now 15 to weight favourite. Backed off the board since Jamie Codd called him the God-given certainty on the after race preview. Uh, has a massive chance. High back Gallier de Maynell in the anti-post market. Uh, yeah, I kind of fancy him. I think if, the ground, if, if a bit more rain falls, if the ground gets a little bit softer, it suit him. He'll stay up that hill all day. Yeah, Brave Man's game is probably underestimated here. I have a feeling if he was trained by William Mullins, he would be favoured for this. He was a brilliant winner of the Chalo. Chalo hurdle winners don't have a great record in this race, but his performance was fantastic, and I think that he could take all the, that he could be the one to side with out of the two. But as I said to you, Gary may know for me, but Brave Man's game is probably a good bet to have in that one. The other grade one on day two, or on day two, is there's two more grade ones to race in. The second one is obviously the Brown Advisory Novice Chase, and we don't have to delve into this too much. Monkfish should win this easy. It uh, has been absolutely flawless over fences, is an absolutely beautiful jumper, already favoured for next year's Gold Cup. Uh, should take all the beat. Uh, the champion bumper is the concluding grade one on the old course, including grade one on day two. Um, absolutely wide open affair. Kilcrut is the market leader uh, at two to one, or 15 to eight. Sir Gerhard is five to two. And it's uh, seven to one bar. The rest of them, it, it's it's very interesting. I'd look further down. I think Ramillies for Willie Mullins, the second string, has good records in this. Willie Mullins spoke in Sporting Life blog last week. Thought that Patrick should have picked Ramillies over Kilcroft in the Dublin race. The best, but Kilcroft came out and was absolutely flawless. But I think Ramillies could bounce back from that. Probably will be suited by Cheltenham and should run a big race at about sixteen to one. Uh, for the rest of the week, Thursday we see Envoy Allen take to the track. Brilliant jumper. Absolutely love watching him race all the time. I think he's absolutely flawless. He should win the Marshes Novice Chase. The Kemp's final wide open handicap 
I guess as good as mine in that one. Uh, the Ryanair chase, I kind of like Mellon in this one. I think Mellon is, uh, uh, I know Mellon has a very bad case of second itis, but I think he dropping back from dropping back from three mile to two mile five. He's drifting a little bit in the mark. He's going to be fifteen to two, but I think he could be he could be a brilliant bet in this. Uh, Brian Cooper's going to ride him. Uh, if he gets to the if he if he dictates the race from the front, he could be very hard passed. So look, it's very it's a, it's a very wide open race. Uh, Alaho is the favourite. Min is second favourite five. They're both five to one. Um, Imperial Law is sevens. Millen is about fifteen to two. Uh, the other great one on Thursday is of course the Paddy Power Stairs hurdle. Uh, Paisley Park will bid for a bit of redemption in this uh, to look at to regain his crown uh, after losing it last year. Uh, we're obviously missing Time Hill. Uh, this would have been a massive, uh, brilliant matchup in this. He kind of didn't score bad. He scored badly on the on uh, after the gallops last week. Pulled a little bit of muscle. Has been pulled out of this race. Paisley Park looks like he could take all the beat. And I look Florian Porter here. Florian Porter is very interesting. I think that he's been underestimated. Gavin Cromwell has obviously won the champion hurdle. This he's a good. He he knows how to get these guys ready. But I do think that the storyteller is probably the best bet in the race. He's about eleven to one. Has is a great one winner over fences. Great. Uh, he was brilliant in the pretends last year at this course. He is a course winner. Cheltenham Festival um, is is primed on previous winners of course, previous winners of course form. He's course form. I really really like him. He's about eleven to one. And on Friday, it is the feature of the whole week, the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Alvin Foto bids for three in a row. Uh, he's probably the most likely winner of the race. He won a slowly ran Gold Cup. Uh, he won, sorry, he won a he won an absolutely ferociously ran Gold Cup in 2019. They went from the mad gallop. He stayed brilliantly up the hill. Last year was a very very slowly ran affair. Turned into a bit of a glorified sprint. Still won it by a neck. I think he's got every chance. I'd be, I would be, I, I think 11 to four. He's probably the most likely winner. Aputar is very interesting. He fits the profile of a. Of a Gold Cup winner, a lovely seven-year-old was brilliant in Dublin Rest Festival at Leopard Centre Christmas. Hit the line brilliantly in the Savage Chase. Looks like this, the extra two furlongs will will suit him down to the ground. Uh, he, as I said, the seven-year-old fits the perfect profile. Has good course form. Won the Close Brothers Novices Chase in 2019. Was third in the Ryanair Chase last year. I think he's got every chance uh, in this. Looking ahead as well to Friday. Uh, the Triumph Hurdle. Looks like it's going to be a bit of a battle here between Zanahir and Tritonic. Tur- could turn out to be the battle of the week. Relixio should not be overlooked at 4-1. As should Dazio. And it's one. This one's very tough to call. I've been waiting until the day. But a horse I do like on Friday, probably one of my main fancies of the week, is at a massive, massive price, is Street to Diane in the Albert Barton. I think he's very, very overlooked. He's 25-1. to 1. If you go back to his form, he didn't really have a great maiden hurdle campaign over two miles. John McConnell stepped him up to, two, to three miles. Uh, his first run this season was in Pontchartown. That was over two and a half miles. He was third behind Gold's feet. He was stepping with the three miles of Roscommon. One, he went to a three-mile handicap at Gorham Park. Beat Florin Porter by five lengths. So then went on to win the Christmas hurdle. That form is fantastic. Went to Cork. Won again and won again over three miles. And then went to Cheltenham onto the old course and beat Manella on Cork by three and a half lengths. He has course form. He fits the profile of a traditional Abbott Barclay winner. Second season novice. Has has probably one of the only ones in the race with course form. Put a line to his run at Nace the last day. That was a prep run for this American guy. That was about fourteen to one. I think he's got a massive chance. I think twenty five to one is brilliant value about that. And for any more challenging previews, be sure to check out Tackling Sports YouTube channel uh, where you'll find a preview. Where you'll find separate previews for all four days racing. It's going to be fantastic wherever you are, wherever you're watching. Best of luck for the week. It's going to be fantastic. Make sure wherever you are, if you're having a bet. Just gamble responsibly. Just gamble what you can afford to lose. But by all means, enjoy the racing. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to see some absolute superstars here and we're going to have some stories that could last a lifetime. As I said to you, please check out Tackling Sports. Previews for all four days racing. You'll find pieces by me and others in the Irish field. Uh, their Cheltenham Pullet that came out on Saturday. You can still buy that in the shops. 
by all means, enjoy the racing. It's going to be fantastic. You just heard the Cheltenham comments there from Brian Dowling. Um, absolutely invaluable advice, I think, to anyone who's looking to get into the racing this week. This week. Uh, but like I said, we'll move on. We're going to look at the soccer now. And um, in the North London Derby, Mikel Arteta had, I think, what will become one of his to kind of defining moments as not just Arsenal manager, but as a manager in general, because he dropped Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for uh, a disciplinary issue that he wasn't prepared to comment on uh, to the press. And this is one of those decisions that will go one of two ways and there's really no middle ground if he gets it right he the, the the fans will call for his head and he he it paid off for him arsenal won the day 2-1 despite a, a sumptuous goal from eric lamella who did kind of then undo that good work by getting himself sent off but this was it felt like Arteta was the story here because he took a big decision, the, the sort of decision that you don't really see anymore in soccer in this era of players kind of holding more power than they really ever have. And it worked out for him really well. Um, yeah, well, he's, he's shown, even in the short time in Arsenal, he's never been afraid to... Uh to um leave out some of the big stars or big earners in the squad like like with like with Ozil I know some other man even before Ozil was in and out but he really did uh, kind of freeze him out um uh, it did it did work for this match but I can see I can see it being a long term solution to not have Aubameyang in the starting team for most of their most of their top games like Lacazette, Lacazette is also a good option, but Aubameyang, he is the, he is the, they put him as captain of the club as well. So I think they're going to have to find a way to to resolve the difference and bring him back into the team if they're really going to have have success. Um, but yeah, with, in this case, it was a it was a great uh, it was a great win for for them. And um, on their day, I think Arsenal, even though they're in whatever ninth or tenth position. On their day, I think they're still up there with some of the best teams. Like the the players they have, uh, like Saka and Smith Rowe, are very promising. And um, yeah, it was a big victory for them. Tottenham have been coming into it in good form. They have Bale, Bale coming back, and Harry 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 Kane back in the team. So, and I think they they were they were they had they were kind of fancying their chances to. To, to beat Arsenal and really get themselves back into the top four positions. But um yeah, Arsenal will be delighted like delighted by that. I think that as far as punishing Aubameyang goes, I think dropping him for the North London Derby is punishment enough. I I wouldn't be surprised if he's back in the squad again before too long. At the other end of the table, Sheffield United lost again. Uh, 5-0 this time to Leicester, who continue their really good season. But the story was Chris Wilder being uh, let go, I, I guess, sacked 
if you want to be more blunt about it. And I know they're bottom of the table, Paul, but I don't know how smart a move this was. Um, yeah, like like I said, I think I think it's going to be quite unsettling for the squad. He's he's been their most their most successful like manager to get them up to their highest position last season and to get them two promotions. Um, so so yeah, even though they're not doing well, we've seen before like managers like Sean Dyche with Burnley, he's they were relegated and he brought them back up and he's they've con- well they're under maybe a bit of pressure this season but they've con- they consolidated their place in the Premier League and um, yeah it will be it's a, it's going to be a complete overhaul now it could it could kind of spiral kind of out of control and they could be finding themselves in the lower reaches of the Championship possibly uh, next season and. Um, yeah, but I think I think as far as Chris Wilder, I think his stock will still be quite high, and like I think he he'll be like like there mightn't be too many of the Sheffield United players who will be re-signed to Premier League, but I could definitely see Chris Wilder himself managing a Premier League club again. Chelsea have a pretty good grip on fourth place at the moment. Now it might not seem that way looking at the table, but. I feel like they're going to do quite well because the closest team to them are West Ham, who despite having a good season, like I said last week, I don't think they can survive the pace of the of the running. And Liverpool are there, thereabouts as well, but you can't really put too much stock into Liverpool now. Six home losses in a row can really erode your confidence in a team. But... We're a few months now into Thomas Tuchel's tenure. How do you think he's um, steady the ship, and is it sustainable going forward? Um, yeah, well, as as a Chelsea fan myself, I um, I've been impressed with Tuchel so far in that he's given a lot of different players different players a chance, and like even that Havertz playing playing up front, like he's given he's no one seems like absolutely certain of their of their place in the team that's created a, a lot of competition um as far, as far as sustainable well i suppose it's really it's really a really a chelsea it's a one or two year project max anyway so i i i, th- I think that i think they're looking up but they're not they're not totally consistent like they still have got uh three draws in their recent matches so i wouldn't say they're totally they're totally safe in the top in the top four like you never know if liverpool can regain some form they could come back up and challenge um but yeah there's they're certainly certainly a lot better and they've got back their conf- their confidence a bit like even Werner he hasn't scored much but he's been he's been much improved under Tuchel we got the FA Cup back this weekend uh quarterfinal stage we we mentioned Chelsea and Sheffield United they're up against each other uh, Bournemouth, the only non-Premier League team left, are playing Southampton. The the pick of the games is Leicester against Man United, and Everton play Man City as Man City continue to hunt down the quadruple, which it feels like they're doing every year, but they haven't managed to do it yet. How do you see all those matches going, Paul? Um... Yeah, I, th- I think Man City will will, will do the job against uh, Ev- against Everton. Um, Everton have been 
apart from their apart from their first few games, they have been a bit a bit more up and up and down. They had a the really good start to the season with Calvert Lewin scoring lots of goals, but yeah, it's it's been it's been it's been mixed since then. So I think I reckon Man City will will get the job done there. Um, Leicester Man United will be will will be a definitely a very competitive game. Um, Leicester are very good at the weekend with Ian Acho scoring a scoring a hat trick. Um, but I I, th- I think Man United will uh, will win that will win that one. I think uh, yeah with Fernandez and Rashford if they're if they're clicking they they might they might get a few goals against the Leicester defense. Um, Bournemouth Southampton. I don't know. I think I think Bournemouth will be will uh, will feel they can really do well in this because Southampton Southampton haven't been in great form and then for Chelsea against Sheffield United, well, as well Sheffield United have only really got three three or four victories all season, I think, in the league. So, and with Chelsea in good form, you'd have to you'd have to go with them for that one, I think. Finally, we're going to look at a bit of boxing and the the biggest news that could possibly come from the world of boxing came yesterday. Uh, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury have signed on for uh, a heavyweight title unification fight. Um, The news report was that contracts had been signed, but a date and a venue wasn't given which um, initially made me suspicious that this might just be more kind of posturing. But I talked to uh, Jack Ginley, who's come on here in the past to speak about uh, boxing and MMA. And he said, if they've signed the contract and the fight is on, the date and the venue is kind of a formality, but they will fight eventually because the the contracts are signed now. And uh, I don't know about you, Paul, but I, for one, am very, very pleased that this fight is finally going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's been the one that a lot of people have been have been waiting for uh, for a long time. I'm not an expert at boxing by any means, but um, yeah, I think I think Joshua has been quite. I feel like he's been quite uh, he's been quite gently uh, brought brought through. Like he had a a lot of kind of easy fights to kind of get himself up to a level. And Fury has been for ages. Fury has been really want wanting the fight. Um, but I think I think now Joshua's team probably feel that he's he's prepared enough to go into the fight. So I think I think it was when their side were happy enough to go ahead with it that that it was that it's gonna happen. Well, we're nearly sure it's gonna happen. Uh it's gonna be very, very interesting. There you've obviously got um Fury who's gonna be bigger. Than any opponent Joshua's ever faced. Um, he stands at six foot nine, and I think he might have a longer reach as well, which you know Joshua isn't really used to. I think in his first world title defense, he had a guy who was taller than him and had a bigger reach, but he was nowhere near the caliber of boxer that Tyson Fury is. So, yeah, I, if if this is the marker of what's going to get us out of the lockdown era because I heard it's going to be maybe June, July. That's nothing. There's nothing concrete there. That's just a a guess. But the reason I think that is because um, the UK have set a date in June for their lockdown to end. 
And I think um, Eddie Hearn, who promotes Joshua, is going to take advantage of that by saying, hey, the first major post-lockdown event is Joshua Fury in wherever 